It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. If you're an evil baron who has enough cars to fill an entire warehouse, you know how important insurance can be. That's why this week's sponsor of Everything is Super is Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. The world outside your window might be a little dark and neon-tinged, but here... Everything is Falcon great as we are talking about all things the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Hello, everybody. Mike Bloom here to break down the last part of, I guess, the first half of Falcon and the Winter Soldier already. It has moved incredibly quickly, not just this episode, the past three weeks. But we are here to to look into how things have accelerated at the rate of a hot rod that Baron Zemo is at the helm of. Of course, I am not alone. I'm joined, much like there was a formidable trio in this episode, a formidable crew as well to break down everything. First, of course, we've got to welcome in the guy who's currently downing a glass full of snake organs, Kevin Mahadeo. Kevin, how are you? (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not Kevin. I'm Patch. Uh, as you can see, I have an eye patch, and I know I look and sound exactly like Kevin, but I am actually someone else entirely. Oh. That is a joke for three people who are <laughs> listening right now who are familiar <laughs> to this character in the comics. Are you saying mutants confirmed? Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, yeah, confirmed. We'll get to those. those. <laughs> there, there was a. I could have sworn if you actually blur your eyes at one of the guys in the bar, Latanya, that he looks like Hugh Jackman. So I'm pretty sure Wolverine confirmed for the MCU. Yes. Hugh Jackman is definitely confirmed for the MCU. <laughs> Hugh Jackman in the Brass Monkey. Uh, we're, we're going to Madripoor in this episode. We went to Hightown and Lowtown in an episode that I will say I think had some highs and lows, uh, you know, to give our overall thoughts on the episode. There's a lot of stuff to get into in this one. Uh, one of my friends, actually, I saw posted this online, that this episode felt like a Fast and the Furious movie. And for better mm. or for worse, I oh. completely... I completely you. I, I no. I, I think I agree with it for good and for bad. In that, I think there was a lot of like impressively done fast paced action and mm. fun character moments, but maybe at the expense of sort of cutting corners, drifting, if you will, through certain moments, uh, development, etc. So I will say I think this was a sloppier episode than the previous two, but I can't say I'm too mad at it because listen. If an episode brings us a gif of Baron Zemo fist bumping at a discotheque, I'm not going to be terribly mad at it. Kevin, what what did you think about this episode overall? Well, here's what I want to first clarify. That is not a knock I was doing against the Fast and Furious movies. Like, if you want to say this is a Fast and Furious film, fine. We can say it was like two or four. 
maybe eight, which I'm not as high on, and, and seven, but five and six, how dare you compare this <laughs> to the masterpieces of those films? You're um, just saying numbers at this point. I mean, to be fair, you know, there was all this Fast stuff going on in the, in the pl- six. Yeah, well, the stuff going on in the in the beginning of the plane, uh, in the beginning of this series, very much mirrored the end of Furious Six, right? Where where Gal Gadot's character dies and they're driving the car spoilers, onto the spoilers, plane. Spoilers. <laughs> I yeah, I haven't seen any of the Fast and Furious movies. It is. I know I'm too fast, I know. too furious. Everything is furious. <laughs> uh, yeah, Latani, we have to rectify that at some point. Sorry, I know. Yeah, we'll no, it. it's, it's it's very they're very fun. They're very stupid, but they're so much fun to watch. All right, I can take some stupid fun right about now. <laughs> well, so Kevin, what what did you think? You know, uh, maybe com- comparisons to major motion picture franchises apart from the MCU aside. What'd you think of, of outing number three here for Falcon and the Winter Soldier? You know, for me, I do think this was the weakest episode. And I have my reasons for it. I mean, I just, I, 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 the best way to put it is honestly, part of me is just like, do we really want to talk about this episode or do we just want to talk about the last 30 seconds of this episode? Mm. Because like, that's the part of the episode that I was just kind of like, oh, hey, something, something interesting is going on. The rest of the episode just felt so atypical to every like if you if you have existed in this world and watched any sort of action or spy movie everything just felt like just box checked off the same things you've seen the cd underground bar oh this character that we kind of knew who's now on the run and living a high life and oh we're at the docks with shipping containers and we're gonna have a fight scene here cool 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 like all of it just felt so standard and so like been there done that seen it and the parts to me that excelled that were the parts that were good from the previous episode that I liked the interplay between the characters. Mm. Um, I definitely want to talk about John Walker in this one, but those are the parts that I, I really cared about, except for the very end, in which case that was the part I really cared about. <laughs> um, but I just, I also love that they, that they telegraphed it. They telegraphed it with the line. And I love that. I love that they had that moment in the middle to be like, you think they forgot they have it, you know, like I, anyway, um, so a lot of that is what I liked, but the rest of it just felt so standard. And Kevin's hottest take for this episode coming in, I don't like what they're doing with Zemo. Oh, ah, interesting. Well, Latanya, what's your, even outside of Zemo, I guess you can include him in on there as well, even though he's going to be obviously a large part of this episode in discussion proper. What, mm-hmm. what, what do you think? Do you think this is the weakest episode so far? For sure. Yeah, I do. Um, the part of it is just because, and you know, this is kind of ironic because we just got, you know, left WandaVision, which was a show where there were intentionally different genres. Um, you know, it was a different type of television show each episode. But to me, this show has kind of felt like a different type of television show each episode. There's some, uh, lacking and like connecting threads for me. I still am not sure who the villain is. Mm. which is a a big issue that I'm having with this show. Um, and also, you know, this, this was a more fun, heisty kind of uh, action packed episode. So we didn't get really any character development um, other than kind of the stuff that happened um, during their conversation on the plane when they mm-hmm. were on the way to Madripoor. And then the stuff that happened with Carly uh, in the episode later. Um, and, you know, 
yes, obviously we have to get pumped to, and excited to talk about the last like 60 to 30 to 60 seconds of the episode. But, you know, 30 to 60 seconds does not an episode make. Uh, and for me, this was definitely the weakest in terms of just having a clear through line of what exactly it is that we're supposed to like, which MacGuffin are we supposed to care about? <laughs> you know, they're all MacGuffins. That's the secret. As the astronaut holds the gun to your back, they've been <laughs> MacGuffins the entire time. needs to read a book on storytelling if that's the case. <laughs> well, I mean, let's let's start for the place that I think we're all positive about. Then let's start with this ending, because I do think it is legitimately game changing. Uh, you know, I, I did not think that anyone I, I do remember. I believe that there was casting rumors that the the person who played Io, uh, who was essentially Okoye's second in command in the Black mm-hmm. Panther series would be like making an appearance. But I don't know. I certainly did not expect like, hey, Wakanda is now going to get involved. But like you said, Kevin, I really liked how like the Kamoyo beads, they sort of laid that that path throughout the episode. Right. Sam gives a really helpful reminder in the middle of like, hey, why did you let Zemo out of prison? He's wanted by everybody. Do you remember what he did in Civil War, including killing T- King T'Chaka? They're going to be after him. And to have that connect back and lead into the second half where, you know, it's it really is this matter of less sides and more so everyone with different purposes, either working with or against each other. Now you have an entire nation, assumingly, in the fold there. I thought about this, and I wrote up a piece about this on, on CBR.com, that there also might be this idea that Bucky himself might be an agent of Wakanda going on here. There might be some ulterior motives from his perspective of, like, the reason why he was so brazen to free Zemo despite their history together is that he, you know, wants to, he has loyalty to the nation that rehabilitated him and wants to hand him over to them. But, Kevin, talk to me about, you know, your reaction to and the implications of this final scene and Wakanda being brought into Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, My reaction was literally both my fiance and I like leaning up off our chair and be like oh shit! you know like just <laughs> excitement right because it's, it's the moment that like I feel like threw us something that we weren't expecting but we we kind of should have been and I think you know I talk a lot in, in previous shows and even for WandaVision how to do a reveal in a way that feels kind of natural that feels like a surprise and feels like they did enough to like put a good thread down and, like, yes, they referenced it in this episode, but Wakanda was also referenced in the previous episode, right? Like, they mm. talked about the fact mm. that Bucky has a different name in Wakanda. They, 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 this is not the first time they've mentioned Wakanda, and they didn't go too much into detail to over explain in exposition exactly what happened. It was during a tense fight, it was quick, it felt natural in the dialogue. So, like, they did a really good job here, in my opinion, of putting the little pieces in so when this does happen it totally makes sense like everything fits even if you don't have even if you haven't seen the previous stuff they've said enough that this happening uh eo showing up i io eo um i think it's io right io uh showing up was like oh that totally makes sense and it's exciting and it's interesting and it's a curveball so, like, all of that I really liked. I think they did a really good job here of, of, in my opinion, putting the threads in a way that made it feel exciting, surprising, and uh, completely natural. And if Bucky is an agent of Wakanda, that would be very interesting and do a little bit to explain his ulterior motives and what was going on as he's just like, we'll just freeze Zemo. And it's just like, y- you realize why that's a bad idea, right? Like, the same thing where it's just like, 
when Zemo shoots that guy in the face, which is probably my favorite Zemo moment in here. Um, it's just like, I mean, what did you, ex- like, he's been very clear yeah. about his feelings on these things, specific, like, specifically this subject. It is very clear how he feels about it, so I don't know what you all expected. Yeah, and he's, like, sitting in his cell reading Machiavelli, <laughs> trying to figure out, I guess, the best way to use his skills and cunning to strategize on how to achieve what he wants, and all of a sudden... Bucky and Sam kind of like walk into his life and you're, uh, you know, to your point last week, Mike, it was there are total um, Hannibal Lecter vibes there. I wish they had leaned into that a little bit more because I love Hannibal as a character um, and think it's really cool when there's like kind of those flashbacks within um, other properties. Um, but anyway, yeah, so he's like reading Machiavelli, playing some chess, which in itself um, evokes just like uh Feelings about Magneto, thoughts about mm-hmm. Magneto. Yeah, I wonder if those uh, uh, pieces were metal or plastic. <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, we get kind of like, we keep getting like hints, I, I feel like, just little wafts of a, the hints of like uh, mutants, um, but not actually getting any mutants uh, anywhere. But yeah, so he's like sitting there ready, like, uh, you know, gotta stay ready so you don't ever have to get ready. And just waiting for someone to come and be like, create the chaos that he needs to come out on top. And then all of a sudden we learn how rich he is. And he just has like a private jet on standby with a butler. That's a little odd. (laughs) Yeah, And and so that speaks to what I talked about before that like so much happened in this episode, but it felt like we were just jumping. I mean, we really, really were jumping locations that yeah, to your point, it's, Okay, uh, we busted out Zemo. Now let's open up his warehouse of cars, speaking of Fast and the Furious. And now we're getting on his <laughs> private jet with his butler on call. And it, it really did, like, speed up so much character reveals with him and Sharon Carter, who obviously we're, we're going to get to. But it almost gave me a bit of whiplash. Now, it does seem like he is... It's a different movie. Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, J. J. Jonah Jameson will not show up here to, to <laughs> yell at them. Uh, but I, I think that it's it just really came by at a blur, maybe at the expense of, yeah, to your point, Latanya, like, stopping down to be like, wait, why was he so ready? How did we not know that he was a baron beforehand? Why was he not able to use those resources to help him in Civil War, yeah. for instance? Like, it, it's some of these things raise more questions than they answered. Yeah, why didn't he have a better phone? You know, all types of things. <laughs> You're rich. That's, that's your phone. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. Like, it's shifting into the Zemo conversation. Like, I loved Zemo in the Civil War movie. I thought, you know, while he wasn't, like, the, the comic book version necessarily, I thought it was an interesting adaptation for, for this character. I liked his... Like, what I liked about Zemo is that, like, he was very grounded and relatable in his motivations. Like, we knew he was special forces, but we didn't see that. That wasn't the part that they focused on. They focused on the fact that he was, like, this methodical, smart, like, manipulative person, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it wasn't about the physical badassness of this guy. And Mm -hmm. they have turned him into that cliche almost right like i know like people are excited because he's wearing the comic book mask but honestly that really threw me out of it completely and i really didn't like him putting on the mask no, it, really I so- mean, it didn't help that he puts on the mask shoots that pipeline and then immediately takes off the mask it felt completely unnecessary to me yeah, to be quite honest i guess it was they were like let's just have this shot so we can include it in a trailer but like it's just it just felt weird to actually also see him be like Fighty, like so flippy kicky, I guess is what we're gonna use. But it just it, it just 
felt so weird for this character. They could have also written even that fight scene differently to like really capitalize on his more methodicalness and just look, he's a physical badass. Um, so I really didn't like that part of it. I, I didn't like that. That's the direction they're taking the, the fact that they made him a Baron just so they could have the name Baron Zemo was also very, very much like retconny. Like the whole thing is like he was working alone, you know, in, in the first, in civil war. And now it's like, Oh, he had all these connections to Madripoor and all these other things. And I guess sure. But it just really, it's like they're writing a different character, even to the point of, as much as I enjoyed his interplay on the plane, like as much as I enjoyed Sam being like, he's out of line, but he is right. Like <laughs> as much as I enjoyed that moment, it just felt like someone else entirely um, mm. than, than the character that, uh, that we had seen previously. All right, Latanya. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on Zemo specifically in this episode? Yeah. Um, hmm. It's a little complicated because I did like, you know, his character introduction that we got uh, in Civil War. In this episode, though, it's, there's a lot of kind of paint-by-numbers paint villainy in my mind. You know, you know, there's the obvious, like, he's sitting there reading Machiavelli. Uh, he um, has some kind of, like, black card inside of the book that's going to, like, give him access to be able to get out. Um, he's got kind of like the mustache twirly, like I'm rich, um, you know, of it all. And, you know, he's sitting there, uh, speaking in a foreign language, you know, uh, when it's, uh, when he wants to like, you know, say things behind Sam and, and Bucky's back. I mean, there, there's all of that plus how kind of like easy it was for them to go and find the person and the people that they needed to speak to in order to make, you know, to accomplish whatever this like MacGuffin-y thing was that they wanted to accomplish. Right. It, it seemed incredibly easy for them to just show up, have Sam impersonate someone who looks, you know, who is just played by Anthony Mackie. Right. Like <laughs> it's just clearly Anthony Mackie. Like the, the de-aging CGI <laughs> they, they used on Robert Downey Jr. To, to do for that still of Anthony Mackie is smiling tiger. <laughs> Possibly. Um, you know, will we ever find out who the real smiling tiger is? I, you know, there's just a lot of like unanswered questions here. Um, and, and Zemo's really, he, he comes off as someone who knows a lot, a lot more than he is saying. And so I was really kind of like, what I wanted from him was, you know, sure, go on this adventure to Madripoor, like do all of that. But like, Use this character like this is the one character I don't mind being used for exposition because mm. there's a lot more that he knows um, and it gets us farther along in the story to realizing who it is that we're actually supposed to be rooting against because, again, we still don't know who the villains are. And is Zemo going to turn out to be the main big bad of the show? It's possible, but. I, I in a rare moment for me, I wanted more exposition exposition from a character uh, than I got, and we didn't get it. Mm, I mean, I I totally see what you both are saying. I don't know. For me, a lot of Zemo this episode was buoyed by just how freaking fun Daniel Brühl was. He did I seem can, like he was having fun. I can absolutely understand Kevin's point that I think it is a little disparate to the previous ways that we've seen Zemo. It's almost like uh, Taika Waititi comes in and makes like a Thor Ragnarok out of Zemo for a second of like, now he's jovial, he's joking, he's deadpanning. 
But I think with the way the rapport is going specifically, like I think he fit in seamlessly with Bucky and Sam. Uh, like you talked about Latanya, that conversation on the plane about Marvin Gaye, I felt was very fun. Even when in his introduction, yeah. when he walks in and goes, if I may, and they both say no to him, like there was a really fun triangle going yeah, that's on. True. That that I think, you know, for me, maybe doesn't necessarily completely overwrite, but I think helps lift some of the weight that comes from just like bringing this character back in and having all of these revelations. Now, that being said, Kevin talked about the scene with the mask. There was this brief moment, right, of like, oh, Zemo betrayed them. He shot Dr. Nagel. Uh, and now uh, and I keep always thinking of uh, Richard Nigel, I think is the name of Chris uh, Chris Traeger's fire therapist on Parks and Rec. Every time they said <laughs> Nagel, I kept thinking about that. Uh, but so he shoots the doctor, disappears, and then comes back. So clearly they were trying to yeah. play with that. But I mean, let's cards out on the table here, like he's absolutely going to either betray them or just like leave them high and dry by the end of this series. Right. I mean, I hope so. He has to like, right? I just, yeah, I, I, I would be stupefied if they took that to a, a, a direction that wasn't let's even further offline from the character. And, and I didn't mind the interplay. I liked all of the jokes. I liked all of those moments and those would have fit. Okay. I think it's just when you get to something like that in in the, in the warehouse scene, yeah, um, with the with the mask and the shooting and the jumping and all that stuff that felt disconnected enough that like I would have been okay with the like, well, he's a Baron, okay. Uh, they're they're a little more jokey, like he's able to deadpan, like you know, a little bit. And I was like, uh, okay, that that can that that can work. But like when they get to the other part and he rolls up in the car and everything, and it's just like, all right, this is a bit different, I guess, and it just felt like really off to me but i will mm. say the jacket the oh. jacket is the best thing when he came into the the the, the runway and there, he's wearing that jacket i was like yo look at that jacket though like yeah i mean he looked at he that. looked at adrian tomb's jacket from spider-man homecoming i was like i'm gonna do you one better like this yeah. is how you wear a fur-lined hood my friend i love that the best thing that we can say about this person is <laughs> their fashion is on point. Um, but yeah, I mean, also the, the thing that I wrote down in my notes that I thought was kind of hilarious. You talked about this a little bit, um, Mike, when you were talking about the like trouble man. Um, mm-hmm. Well, first of all, it's cool that Bucky is using Steve's notebook. That's like, you know, yeah, I that was that a interesting. Cool also a little bit of a spendthrift of Bucky, right? Being like, well, there's a perfectly good notebook lying around here that's like only half filled in. What a 100 year old exactly. He's, he's frugal. He's 106 years old. He's got to pay for sushi. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that part was really cool. Um, but then you're and you're also right about the chemistry that the three of them have in terms of like uh, jokes and everything. But did anyone else get the vibe that the, like Zemo is like incredibly woke? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like talking about um, you know, talking out of his ass, frankly, about <laughs> the black experience and how Trouble Man so represents it. And Sam is like, You're out of pocket, but you're right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh and then later on, um, he has a line where there's a couple of things he says. He speaks specifically about um like American elevation of like super soldiers Mm -hmm. and what that means in terms of, you know, uh, we forget about their flaws because the super soldier serum, which is very difficult to say, uh, not only, you know, brings out kind of like all of the, the tough, strong, you know, qualities that you have, but it elevates the worst of your qualities as well. Mm. Um, So, you know, 
and then when you make that thing, you know, that person assemble, that's supposed to be like a beacon of light for the entire world. That's a very American thing to do and like something that he's commenting on. And, you know, also he makes a comment later um, <laughs> to, to Sam when Sam is like talking about how he looks like a pimp. Um, and he's, he's just like, just because you're like fashionable and a black man doesn't mean blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, this is pretty like this is borderline hilarious how woke Zemo is. I mean, Zemo, Zemo does sort of have this approach, right, of, like, uh, eat the rich, even though he is rich, right? Like, these superpower yeah. beings are above us in the hierarchy of things. We need to bring them down to our level. And to that point, I do agree that the the Sam and Bucky stuff, from a character development perspective, was not there sans that one scene that we can touch upon briefly before we move into Madripoor. Because in the aftermath of everything, when they're on the plane, really interesting moment from Sam where Sam sort of ends the episode on Team Zemo by saying, hey, you know what? In retrospect, I made a mistake with the shield. I shouldn't have donated it to the museum. I should have destroyed it. And that is a huge moment from this character. He's essentially saying, like, yeah, I kind of agree with the guy in the purple mask that, like, it's kind of foolish that we throw ourselves behind this symbol of something that, you know, subjugates and crushes so many people under his feet. I uh, I just mumbled in that scene. You can't just vibranium uh, when he said that. <laughs> but like, I mean, yeah, the, there is a lot of that. But like, part of it, I mean, there's there's just it's complicated. And I don't think that that's the right answer. Ultimately, right? Like, um, I don't think destroying the shield would have been the right answer. I do think there's a level of picking up the shield and what it, what it represents, and you having the ability to then shape and inform what it can represent and what it should represent moving toward the future. There's a lot in there that it could be. Superman, is, it's like the Superman thing. He's not there to just punch people, right? He's there to inspire, to shape, to show what you can be. And I think that yeah. if you use the shield right, if you do the things right, that's what you can try and lean towards doing. Whether or not it works, whole other conversation or story we could go into, but I think that is something to consider, right? There's no, it's it's not like one or the other. Um, but that all said, Zemo being woke, I'm all for it. I think it fits with the character. This is the, and it, it, just from what we known about the character and the, the, that kind of like you said, like this like downtrodden and eat the rich type. Like he he was in the military. He had this kind of view of like. America coming in and doing certain things like right. what happened in Sokovia. There's a lot there that fits towards what this th- th- this character would be like. Um, and I like the idea of that. I think he's he's a little more uh, he's a little more woke into like what they're trying to do with the flag smashers, which is. Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, what are, they, <laughs> like, what are um, they trying to I do? Mean, with let, the flag let, yeah, let's, let's talk about it, because I do find it interesting that I think. On paper, I think Zemo would agree with what the Flag Smashers want, because I think what he's saying, you know, he probably would agree with this idea of no more birds, especially considering apparently what happened to Sokovia after the events of Age of Ultron, which was it's no more at this yeah. point. Uh, you know, it's essentially Czechoslovakia in that regard. It's, it's transformed into something completely different. But what gets him on the side of Bucky and Sam is the way they're going about it. You know, he's saying like, mm-hmm. hey... Go go about this egalitarianism all you want to, but don't you dare make super soldiers because that's the the last thing I want in this world. But yeah, the the flag smashers edict sort of becomes more obfuscated here. I would say purposefully. I think to your point, Latanya, they're really trying to have us, if not sympathize with Carly, at least understand her perspective. But what was your take on? the characterization of the Flag Smashers and what they were doing in this episode with everything with the refugee camps and the GRC. 
yeah, it was highs and lows again. So we realized that someone who was very important to Carly and we're not sure who. Um, Mama Donya. Been, ah, sure. It would have been great to get a little bit more background uh, other than a name about like, you know, who the person was, unless that's something I missed. Um, but uh, yeah, so we have, we see different sides of Carly, right? We've already seen her mourn kind of like her fellow super soldiers death at the hands of the people that were sent by the power broker, um, which, you know, I have a theory, uh, which is probably a widespread theory at this point about who the power broker might be. We can talk about later, but uh, we see her, um, you know, extremely upset, like wanting to get the super soldier serum to be able to give it to this person so that they could recover and, and get better. Um, and then, you know, we, you know, we see that after we see her outside playing soccer with children, you know, in one of these like places that she's taken medicine and supplies to. But then at the end of the episode, she just straight up kills people and says, this is the only thing that, you know, these type type of people understand. And so it's a very within one episode where she doesn't have a lot of screen time. It's a total 180 in terms of like the kind of Carly that we met and know, I guess, as much mm-hmm. as we can know the, the character at all with the limited amount of screen time that she's gotten. Um, but, you know, we get a complete turn like, you know, we see her break bad. So is this going to be like the thing that harkens more violence from the spot, the flag smashers and then ultimately get them on, you know, they're already kind of on the wrong side of, of Cap and Bucky, but, you know, are, are they going to have more legitimate reasons to go after these people? And by they, I mean the U.S. government and uh, I like to call them napped in America, um, new, new Captain America, <laughs> nap for short. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think all of that is very interesting. One of the things that I want us to talk about, um, because we have talked about the super soldier serum quite a bit um, and something that we uh, might want to like forecast for what would be happening down the line is that there are going to be various factions of individuals, flag smashers included, who are likely now that um, Dr. uh, Nagel is that Mm -hmm. uh, has been murdered. Um, you know, again, that means the secret of the super soldier serum kind of goes with him. Um, and we know that they were using the uh, person's blood, which I think was Isaiah Bradley's blood. Yeah, yeah he's, um, uh, him, him being on the previously on and Sam outright saying like the way Nagel was almost like non personifying him, I think. Confirms yeah, that. yeah. Um, and, you know, so does that mean that people are going to be after Isaiah Bradley now, essentially, to try to figure out how to. Harvest, like use his blood to uh, harvest his blood, um, you know, testing on him more and more in order to make the super soldier serum. And the reason that that uh, stands out so vividly for me is because it's very much like the case of Henrietta Lacks. Mm. Um, uh, for those of you all who don't know, Henrietta Lacks was a mother of five who in 1951 um, and this is from the Hopkins Medical uh, Medicine dot org website, who um, in 1951 visited Johns Hopkins because she was complaining of vaginal bleeding. When she was examined, 
uh, the renowned gynecologist, Dr. Howard Jones, found a large malignant tumor on her cervix. And at the time, that was one of the only hospitals that was catering to African-American people, to poor black people at that. Uh, but, you know, medical records show that they started to do radium treatments on her for her cervical cancer. They started to do other types of very experimental treatments to kind of figure out what was the cause of, of her cancer. Um, eventually, un- and unfortunately, uh, Henrietta Lacks died due to cervical cancer um, in doctor uh, that doctor's lab. Um, and what happened, though, was that a discovery was made that her cells were unlike any other cells that had ever been seen. Um, so uh, it, because they doubled uh, every 20 to 24 hours. So they're nicknamed HeLa cells. And to this day now, those cells are still being used in medical research. Mm. They're still being uh, used in order to come up with like more scientific breakthroughs. I believe they came up with a breakthrough uh, for polio based on her cells as well. Um, and there's the question of um, the efficacy uh, and, et- and ethics of, you know, using someone's blood, um, using someone's uh, genetic biological material after they are no longer there without their consent, without the consent of the family. Um, it's brought about books such as The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, which was turned mm-hmm. into a movie on HBO, which mm-hmm. I don't necessarily recommend <laughs> because <laughs> they did definitely turn it into a, a white savior movie. Um, but the book more I would recommend. So given that, you know, there's uh, that lab got exploded. Um, mm-hmm. There's probably going to be now kind of like uh, a bounty on uh, Isaiah's head because they're going to need his blood to do more experimentation. So does that mean that our heroes um, kind of team up in a way with Isaiah? Does that mean that they um, are kind of like going to serve as his like protection service and the bad guys are all of the people who are after that, uh, after his blood and, and all of that? I don't know. But it does very much bring all of those questions to the fore for us to consider. I love that comparison. I didn't even think about it. That you'd imagine the scarcity created by blowing the lab will just naturally come back to the flag smashers as they talk about. But there's also a supplier in the form of Isaiah. So it can mean some trouble to come on the horizon. Kevin, do you have any, any thoughts about that or about the flag smashers in general from this episode? Yes, <laughs> is, <laughs> is the short answer. I mean, I, I think... I don't I, I like are these the bad guys? I don't know is pretty much the summation of the entire series, unfortunately. And I think that there's there's multiple reasons for that. Like everything with the smash uh, smashers, the flag smashers, uh, smashers. the smash. She Hulk isn't coming for a while, Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> the smashers um, and napped in America. <laughs> everything with them this episode, I was sort of just kind of like, boy, do I actually not really care about what's happening on screen, which is unfortunate. <laughs> And I think that is, I mean, this is, it's what I mean. It, it, it so much of this was the checked boxes and it's just like, this would normally be where they are trying to do the like, okay, the people that you thought were the bad guys, they have so much more pathos. Look, there's a sick person that this one's trying to care mm-hmm. for. Like, it just felt very much just like, that. okay, let's just take this thing from we've seen everywhere and just put it in here because we, we're still trying to make the Flag Smasher sympathetic. But like, again, one why and two like we don't have a bad guy and like yes i understand 
making your bad guys complicated. Make like the reason why we like people like Killmonger and Thanos and and, and Loki and find them interesting villains is because they have a level of pathos to them. They have something that that makes them dynamic and interesting and, and a little bit of a point. And the Flag Smashers do have a point, right? Like. There's the extent of just like you have medicine that you're just wasting. We can give it to people that need it. Um, mm-hmm. And we're all like, that's a logically thing that people should support. The problem is, is that these are what you're trying to position as the bad guy. And unless you, the people creating it, want to come off like, you know, asshats, you can't just be like, yes, these people are so villainous. Look what they're doing. It's wrong. <laughs> Giving medicine to sick people. They can't afford it. You can't give medicine to poor people. That's crazy talk. Like, you can't have your bad guys do that because then you seem like a jerk face for wanting to put that message. So you have these flag smashers <laughs> who are trying to, like, be sympathetic. But we need to make sure that you know now they're bad guys. So you have Carly blow up these people in a very, again, to throw back to a previous series, very Hayward bringing up Monica's mother situation. Yeah. It's just such a like, well, have him kill a puppy. I don't, I don't goddamn know. Just they need to do something to make them like yeah. feel more evil now. Well, and it's, it's like this, though, this is very much, this series is very much the opposite of the Hayward problem though, right? It's like Hayward, the issue was he's so deliberately evil. We know that he is evil. No matter what he does, we know it's going to be evil. Here it's like, everyone's kind of doing evil things, but like we really don't have a sense as to who our bad person is at this point. Right, yeah. and that's that's a problem. Like we're halfway done, right? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and and that's the thing. Like you know, I always go back to storytelling, and like yes, you can break the rules, but you have to have some things that 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 fit, or else or do it better, or else you're just gonna end up in this situation. People watching, like you need to know who the bad guy is. The, the protagonists have to be against a clear antagonist in order to propel emotion and 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 urgency. So we know they're going after a MacGuffin, but you have to have someone else going after the MacGuffin as well for a reason that we can understand and stands opposed to the heroes, or else you're just watching people stumbling around in Rat Race, which is a very funny movie, but I don't think that's what they're going for here. Uh, so it's just complete confusion, and and the pacing is really off because they're trying to have the Flag Smashers be here. But, like, they're doing sort of nothing? Their stuff is so disconnected, in a way, from the main story, because the MacGuffin is chasing them, basically. So, like, you have to keep checking back in on them to make sure that things are happening, because the audience needs to see this to, un- to, to reconnect with the, right, these are kind of the bad guys, I guess. So, it's, it's a real big pacing problem with the Flag Smashers, and I think mm. it creates a problem for the rest of the series as well because everything around it all of a sudden it comes to a momentary halt as we're just like oh right the flag smashers that's right these are the people that we're that we're going against it's the same way that the john walker scene in this episode felt almost out of place because it just came in for like 10 seconds which i have feelings on yeah that. we should talk we need to talk about yeah, john uh, walker sorry kevin uh essentially everything you feared is starting to come true with this guy unfortunately it is, but to what point and end? This is this is this is my issue, and I think it's again, it's coming down to the trickiness of of of, of dealing with, I guess, complex characters to to an extent, or the fallacy of like wanting to to go the route that's obvious, but still try to make it seem reasonable. Like him getting uh, aggressive and violent. If we saw more of the pressure that's being put on him, we could be like, oh, okay, you know, it. I, I get it. Why he's being why he's like getting on edge or if we talk more about the effects of war and PTSD and like what does that cause for him putting on the the this the shield sure do we get any of that no but mm. the part that that bugs me about it is isn't even that isn't even that part like i think the mistake there is just not giving reasonable reason as to as to why he's starting to head then this way 
But they're trying to position this idea that he is bad because he is now going to be like, oh, well, we'll we'll go investigate this because I, I'm pretty sure Bucky and 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 and, um, and Sam are, are, are involved in this breakout. And so we're going to keep it off the books as if what he's doing is bad. And two things. One, he ain't wrong. He's right. And two, that's exactly a type of chicanery that Steve Rogers would have done. So, mm-hmm. like, they're positioning this thing like this is a bad thing he's about to do. I'm like, this is what Steve would have done. And so, well, like, I don't know if that's <sighs> completely true. That's literally what Steve did in Civil War with well, Bucky. Okay, well, okay. I, I get, I, I smell what you're stepping in. I see where, where you're coming from. <laughs> but, like, so they start this episode with that commercial about the Global Repatriation Council. Mm-hmm, like and the, it's your... The, it seemed like one of those, like, WandaVision commercial within yeah. commercials, right? Yeah. Like that. It was very much like a medicine commercial. Like, oh, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll re, we resto- reset, revisit, recycle, or whatever. Yeah, Cut reset, to- restore, rebuild. Cut to this, like, big shady black van bearing the GRC's logo. It's the complete yeah. opposite tone-wise of the commercial. Exactly. And and not even just the logo, but it's Polizei, so we know that it's the German police, and everyone's afraid of the Polizei more than they are the, just the police. Um, and, and then we get him, we get the, do you know who I am from him? So that, for me, Kevin, is like what m- makes, even, again, we talk about motivations behind things. That's what separates the John, uh, sorry, Walker, uh, from the Steve Rogers for me, even if they are doing similar things, there's never an instance wherein Cap is just like, do you know who I am? No, you're right with that part, right? Like, I'm not talking about the, the aggressive part. I mean, I, I'm clear, I'm talking specifically about his actions of going off the books to search for information that connects Bucky and Sam to the breakout of Zemo. That part is being oh, positioned as yeah. if that's a bad thing to do. But that is the that, but I, that's what I mean. That what he's about to do there is the exact type of thing Steve would do. You are correct in the um, do you know who I am? Pushing a guy against the wall. That's the part that's not Steve. That's the part that that's showing him aggressive and being the anti Captain America that we know. And right. that's the part that I I am upset that they're not really focusing in on because I think there's there is a hook. They could they could do what they should have done with Hayward to an extent, and you could have. A little bit more of a story, especially like, look, Hayward is, is a is a corporate white dude in power. You can make him bad. Cool. Like this is tied. This is starting to hit on like real world issues of like what war can do to a person, what, like what soldiers have to go through in war. And you're avoiding that in a way just to portray this guy as aggressive without delving into his own pathos that could have stemmed from that. I think mm-hmm. that is a mistake. So my problem with the you are right that is there is that they're just jumping into it and not i think giving what could be a real topic of conversation is proper due um but that's what i mean for 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 when i was saying like like steve is just that specific part uh to clarify yeah i mean i i think that we saw in that first scene a line that hoskins told walker in the first scene of last episode which is like you can't punch your way out of a situation now, like, I feel like the implications are now felt here that I think Walker is sort of used to that soldier mentality, right? Of like, well, you know what? Nice is and diplomacy can work sometimes. But at the end of the day, you can just shoot him. And you can sort of feel that here where he tries to negotiate. But when this guy pushes back a bit, he just shoves him up against the wall and says, do you know who I am? And I, I wonder again if, if this is sort of 
unfortunately, whether it's due to the episode order or just like the 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 whole six hour movie thing, they skipped over a couple of beats of that, exploring those parts of the character in lieu of it seems like at the moment going down this path of oh, John Walker is not Mr. You know, the 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 bright, shining Steve Rogers facsimile that we thought he was. I'm hopeful that we still find those opportunities to take a look back at his character. And who knows, given what happened with Carly and the Flag Smashers this week, I'm, I'm sure they'll find a couple of scenes to humanize him. It just depends on whether or not... He will visit a sick person in the yeah. hospital. <laughs> I mean, it just depends on whether or not that butts up against like him breaking someone's leg as he walks out of the hospital after visiting <laughs> Can you imagine just him walking out for no reason? Just sidekick someone in the leg and there's like, ah! They go down. Yes, I can't imagine that. And then he goes on about, like, you know, the issues of the Repatriation Council. <laughs> How oh, imperialist. Yeah, I, also, I thought it was reparation last week, which I was like, you know, very much like, oh, Jesus Christ. And then this one started off and it's like, oh, we repatriation. Dot dot dot. What's that? Like, I mean, listen. The thing is, I, mean, that I get it the, now, but yeah. I and mean, also, the two words are not that far from each other. I think purposely yeah. so. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details Let, let's yeah. talk about Madripoor. Let's move into, I think, the main <laughs> setting of this episode, because we're going back to Kevin's Comics Corner. I know a lot of people were excited, Kevin, when they heard that Madripoor was quite literally on the map for the MCU. So for those that are uninformed, what was the history of Madripoor coming into Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Yeah, I mean, so there's there's a lot of history there. I mean, the long and short of the of the bigger context is Madripoor is essentially one of those facsimile-type um, nations that, like, they're not going to go to Hong Kong. They're not going to go to specific parts of Iraq and comics, right? So they just make up a place, um, basically, to represent that area. And this, you know, Madripoor is essentially an island in uh, southeast. Yeah, it's like <laughs> to in, do cardinal yeah, directions. Yeah, I think say Indonesia, I believe, is yeah. what Bucky says. Uh, that that's an island nation, and is and is essentially like the the perfect example of the split of of social inequality or, or wealth inequality. Right. There's the the high town, which they they talk about, which is really where the like extremely wealthy and like profitable uh, live. And then there's low town, which is like the slums. Um, And it's it's been under control by different organizations over different times. Like this place has very much ties to Hydra, um, Mm. like very much so. Uh, I think Madam Hydra, who may show up. I don't know when when that when when they went to Madripoor, I was like, ooh, is Madam Hydra in this? Maybe it's Sharon. Um, uh, Controlled it at one point. 
Um, Magneto lived there at one point with a bunch of the X-Men, which is why I think people got excited because like mutants are confirmed now, right? Like now that Magipore is here, you're not going to introduce Magipore if you're not going to introduce mutants. That's crazy talk. Why would anyone do that? Um, but here we are. In all, <laughs> in, 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 yeah. In all seriousness, it, it it's, confirms nothing. I, I, I think it's a, a I'm not going to bother. I, I've been through this, so I'm not doing it again. Um, sorry, y'all. Um, but Madripoor, in terms of like the people who are being excited because they think maybe X-Men, is that this place has a very huge tie to Wolverine specifically. Um, I believe Madripoor might have been introduced in either a Wolverine comic or a Wolverine-centric storyline, but a Wolverine solo series almost entirely placed in Madripoor. The patch joke is that uh, there was a silent partner who ran one of the big uh, clubs slash organizations there, and a silent per- partner was named Patch, who was... I'm very obviously, and I don't remember back in the day if it was supposed to be a reveal, but very obviously Wolverine in like a white suit with an eye patch because he has the same dumb hair. And it's just like, well, who in the hell else? But um, it might have been very much just like, oh, it's obviously Wolverine, like the viewer knows, but I don't remember it. This was like from the like 70s, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't read it in the 70s, but that's where the comics from. But like, so that's essentially the setup of this place. It's It's been under control left and right in, in multiple instances. Now that I'm thinking back, like, did they, did they say where, cause like Hawkeye in the comics also had a big presence in Madripoor. Now I'm like, wait, was he in Madripoor in Endgame or did, or was that somewhere no, else or was he, was he going after you, Yakuza? Yeah. I want to say he was in Japan when Black Widow found him. I know. Well, I know the Madripoor in yeah. general is based on Singapore. Uh, yeah, so well, I think Singapore that, and somewhere else they fuse together. Yeah. Not the other place to maybe create Madrid or something. Yeah, well, to make, it, yeah, make, make a portmanteau. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly the same. So, Tanya, what, what were your thoughts about the portrayal of uh, of Madripoor before we even get into you know what Sharon Carter has sort of cut a swath through with her own time uh, yeah, off the grid? Seriously. <clears throat> well, I, it was interesting that there's a what is it High Town and Low Town mm-hmm. uh, that that exists. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility, obviously, that it exists. It does at IRL. There are high towns and low towns. It's just the fact that there's such a, that a, a dichotomy is just, like, in the vocabulary of these people. Like, it's spoken about that way. And um, and so, that part I thought was interesting. A uh, lot of neon lights. Mm-hmm. Just tons of neon lights. Everything feels like it's some kind of a dance party. Um, so thank God we've got, uh, you know, that gift now. Um, but it just seems like a crime town. It just seems like everything that happens there. And this is me without any knowledge of the comics. It just seems like the type of place that you only go to if you want to get yourself into some trouble. And that's 100% accurate. Yeah. And it gave me really big cantina vibes. Yeah. This really did seem like the hive of scum and villainy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't know what more to say really because we get kind of we go there and we get kind of this like cartoonish um mafia person after um sam has to drink a disgusting drink and bucky has to pretend to be the winter soldier uh again uh or some more um and then we get kind of this like cartoony kind of scene about like you know I'll I'll make this deal if you I don't know to me it just all felt again it's like a very paint by numbers like here is a bad place we know it's a bad place because it's got a high town and a low town and it can't be good because there's it's dark and there's neon lights <laughs> so like danger um 
So it wasn't, it's not a place that's super fleshed out. Do I want to go back there again? Sure. Because like I said, it's a place that you go to get yourself into trouble. And that means more like kicky flippy action stuff that we get to see. Um, Are we going to get any development in terms of like, what is the strategic reason why Madripoor is a part of the show? I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, to that point, Kevin, in the comics, was there really any description as to, like, the type of criminals that were there? Because outside of bounty hunters, there really is no description of, like, what all these people have in common that puts them in this purposely lawless community. Uh, yeah, um, before you before I get into that, though, I can't stop thinking just because he was also in a previous episode now when you were like, it's a place that people go for trouble. I just flashed to Ocean's Eleven with specifically Don <laughs> Cheadle being like, we got ourselves in some real Barney. And everyone looks at him like weird. He's like, Barney, Barney, rubble, ru- yeah. rubble, <laughs> trouble. trouble. And it's just like, what? Goddamn oh, rhyme slang. Would have been better if, I love uh, it. if Selby was Elliot Gould just like sitting there with yes. like his open robe. <laughs> Dude, if Elliot Gould was in that scene, it would have elevated that moment because Latanya's right. It, it, again, it's paint by numbers. Oh my God, the person they were talking to got shot. Shocker. Like there's just, anyway, but yeah, the organizations that run there, I mean, like I said, Hydra is, is a big one, but it is like organized crime majorly, right? Like, like is, is a, is a presence in Madripoor constantly. But I think the reason why it looks like that as well is because, uh, I believe Sharon said it and it is accurate is that Madripoor is known to not, um, extradite criminals. Like, if yeah. you go there, you are there. So the reason it's a hive of scum and villainy is because where you, it's where you go. So you don't have to worry about stuff. Uh, so that's why it kind of looks like it, like it is. It's just a bunch of criminal organizations, sometimes controlled by like a Hydra, sometimes Magneto's hanging out there. Um, uh, who else was there? Um, it's Hawkeye, as I mentioned, it's been, a, it's been one of those locations. And for me, I would like to go back there. There's, this is one of those things that were so big at the time it was invented and still carries mm. through because the reason why I feel so familiar, it's because it's like a thing that was such a basis for so many shows where like, the the like dark but like the like the Blade Runner effect like all of those yeah. things that we have seen are affected into the Madripoor design and vice versa right they fed into each other it's like the John Carter effect we see a John Carter movie now we're just like well yeah we've seen all this and it's like right but this helped establish it um, mm. not that Madripoor the comic established the, the visual style of television and movies but that's part of the reason why it also doesn't feel unique in fact I would say. Uh, a better version of it is actually in a series that Anthony Mackie was in in season two of Altered Carbon, oh, which is Altered huge Carbon. on that. Like Altered Carbon mm. is very much like the rich um, maths and then the, the, the poor group at the bottom. But it, it, that does such a good job showing the visual contrast between these two places. Like with, with Sharon, when we see the, the high town, it's just like, well, it's yellow instead of, black in terms of lighting i'm like okay it's like oh darren cross confirmed for falcon and the winter soldier (laughs) (laughs) like to be fair like we only had a very short time here you know they weren't they're not exploring the dichotomy and 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 like social um setup of madripoor but it is again just felt like one of those things where like yes yes we've seen this and it's because like it was built that way i also have weird feelings for anywhere like Madripoor where it's like was purposely invented to be the the the, the adventurous ethnic, like exotic Asian location mm. yeah. that people can yeah. visit like that's that's what a lot of these were invented as right because like because comics were written as as I think we've talked about this in our 
uh, Lovecraft Country podcast in which Latanya and I have, uh, who are we're part of, along with Josh Wiggler. But we talked about this with, with, with Pulp, where Pulp is invented, and I love Pulp, but the entire thing of Pulp, the reason why the exotic locations are just where brown people live, basically, is because for the white POV characters, this is so different. Look how exotic it is. Like, Yes, drinking a, a snake heart out of out of a, a shot is going to be exotic no matter what, I think. But, like, that's the type of stuff. It's Temple of Doom, right? It's like, yeah, the monkey oh, brains. man, they're eating monkey brains and they're eating live snakes. Like, it's that effect um, distilled down into, like, a central location that you're, generally speaking, white protagonists can go to and experience this other culture through their lens. And mm-hmm. so... That's my hesitation with a lot of the Madripoor stuff because it is just that's what it was invented as, um, and then visually just looks like something like we've seen. So, mm. as interested as I am to be like, oh, Madripoor, I I'm not going to say mutants confirmed because we've been down this road before and we're not doing that again. <laughs> uh, and there's nothing there that really hooked me because it's just like right, this stuff paint by numbers. So, but Elliot, Gould. sorry y'all, but Elliot, but- Gould, that's what I mean, right? Like, so imagine <laughs> watching the scene and like you're just like, okay, yeah, the usual. And then Elliot Gould is there and just like. I can't do an impression of him. I wish I could because his voice is so good. Yeah. But like comes in and starts talking like, oh my gosh, what a scene shift. I've loved if, it. If if only. Maybe Elliot Gould is the power broker. Which which brings us to our next point here. Because <laughs> we, we talked about the power <laughs> broker last week. It's very clear if we're talking about MacGuffins or big questions to answer. Mm. This is going to be the big one. I, I think we are probably going to find out the identity of the power broker, considering that it seems like they're... You know, it seems like they are, to your point, Kevin, there have been many sort of people in in charge of Madripoor through the years. Seems like the power broker is. They graffitied their damn name over the wall to make sure that you know that. it. I'm just going to put this out here. It cannot be Sharon Carter. The power broker cannot be Sharon Carter. I will eat a snake if the power oh, broker is Sharon Carter. I hope it isn't. Don't I hope they do better than that. Because yeah, you might have to eat a snake, dude. I'll, listen, I'll eat a snake because like, I will have felt much worse pain because I feel like if Sharon Carter is the power broker, which I know is sort of like something that's been floated out there on the internet, yeah. it makes no sense that was what the she did this episode. That I was I was referencing. It doesn't, it doesn't okay, make sense that it's talk, happening with talk this. Talk about it. Yeah, talk about why you hate it. Well, I think it's just that like if she was the power broker... Why would she talk about the scorpion and the frog before with Zemo? Why would she bring Zemo to Nagel if Nagel was working for the power broker? You know, why would she seemingly shoot herself in the foot by saying, come here and kill my main scientist that could possibly create a super soldier serum? Please, I beg of you. It would just seem completely counterintuitive to the power broker's measure. Now, look, is there a chance that she could be like an associate of the power broker? Absolutely. And when she refers to at the end, like we have a couple of big problems, I think one of them could be like, I just screwed over the power broker. and Now I have to make good. But I think if she is the head of the snake, for lack of a better term, I think what she does in the second half of this episode makes absolutely no sense. Mm. I don't- she really does go to town with uh, the killing of bad guys. Or I guess guys. Like, guys. We don't, you we know, don't know, we don't know whether... <laughs> Whether they're bad or good, we just know they're bounty hunters. They just came walking on the dock. Those are like at least two of those people were just people like hanging out, and they're like, "Oh, what's going on?" And all of a sudden, just she just yeah, pours like them. I mean, that being said, though, uh, we'll talk about Sharon Carter. I'm so glad they gave Emily Van Camp like a kick-ass action scene because she killed it. Like she yeah, did some she impressive, did a great job. impressive stuff in that fight. She did a really good job. Yeah. Well, she's very good at getting revenge, as we all might know. Mm. Um, so. <laughs> Had to do it. Had to. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, 
here's the two things. One, what they've done with Sharon Carter is just like, what? And Because, again, it's just like, oh, we're doing this story here. Okay. Two, uh, my fiance Robin, once again, uh, the big comment she has is going to be hair related. Uh, and it's just like, I don't understand. Why does her hair look so greasy? Like, she... Like she she's living in the wealthy end. Like she should, you know, have like nice stuff to take care of her hair. What, what's happening here, Sharon Carter? Like this doesn't make any sense. It's just like, oh, they need to make her look bad so she's wearing black now and has like greasier hair. Ridiculous. <laughs> Which I thought was that was the focus where she where she had <laughs> yeah, on this episode. Seriously. And then um, she gets a makeover. It's too bad that she's not wearing glasses, or else yeah. you know, <laughs> we'd have like, the full makeover here. The whole Laney the, Briggs, exactly. The other, which Chris Evans, um, which uh, the other <laughs> things, uh, the other thing for this, right? Like, is she the power broker? I don't think she's a power broker, but we're once again rethreading territory that we've all seen. Because if you've seen Solo, you've seen her in a role, like you've seen this role for mm. a character in Solo. If you've played Mass Effect, which had a character named the Shadow Broker, you've seen yet another setup. For one of your uh, crewmates to be heading down this same direction, where it's like, are they the power broker? Probably not right now. Will they be by the end of the series? Probably. Because the, what'll, what'll probably happen is that whoever is the power broker will die, mm, and then she will now take that spot and take control of the organization, which is, again, something we've seen a billion times. Um, and so I, that's why I hope that's not the way it goes, because it's just once again where the show is doing some really fun and interesting stuff in the first two episodes. We are heading down, as Latanya said, a paint by numbers and not even like fun paint. They're just like reading the directions where they're just like, OK, one equals red, two equals blue. And they're just doing that as opposed to be like, well, I'm going to make two green. <laughs> like, you know, they're just. Yes, yeah, so you want to paint by numbers rebels. Exactly. <laughs> we want to be like, oh, screw it. I don't not paint by numbers. No, I paint by my own code of numbers. But you know, let's say, Latanya, talk to me about your thoughts on Sharon because it's obviously a very different Sharon Carter, uh, as Bucky says, kind of a jerk uh, in the yeah. way that she at least now approaches just the idea of Captain America and his legacy. Yeah, you have to imagine that for someone like Sharon Carter, who when we met her in, um. Winter, Winter, Winter Soldier. Soldier seemed very much like a company woman, very like uh, straight laced and everything. You know, her aunt is Peggy Carter. Um, that when she was made an enemy of the state simply by doing something that she thought was right, that had to have like had some type of emotional or like traumatic impact on her uh, to the point where maybe she broke bad. You know, we don't know because we haven't seen the character um, in so long. Uh, it's interesting that what she's doing is dealing in art mm. uh, as well. You know, I I don't know. I, I <laughs> part of me thinks uh, of of the possibility for her to be the power broker because it seems like she's definitely hiding some things from Sam and Bucky. Um, like she knows a lot more than she's letting on, and we'll probably get that. We get her kind of like knowing comment to her associate who's. Name we do not get um, at near the end of the episode. Uh, but, you know, like people who deal in the art world um, have lots of different connections with people from uh, very like wealthy people from all over. Um, it would be very easy for her to be able to like run her little side crime business as a power broker if she's, you know, uh, 
got contacts with all of these different, like very rich, like very powerful people throughout the globe. Um, I don't know how I feel about the wardrobe and the greasy hair. Um, I'll have to have to let Robin uh, weigh in specifically on that. But I mean, her, her, her like sheer force um, of will and like strength that she showed in that fight scene was fantastic. Agreed. Um, I don't know if she's the power broker, but I know that she can kick some major ass. And I'm I'm very happy that she got the opportunity to do so because I mean seriously like between throwing a knife into a guy's arm and then like killing a guy standing behind the the shipping container and then just immediately picking a guy off when he turns the corner like she was able to kill like a, at least a dozen of seemingly the yeah. best bounty hunters on the globe uh, yeah. just by herself which is incredibly impressive i i found her well, she's an agent of shield guys i mean that's like, true she was the person that they were like you are gonna go keep an eye on steve rogers like it's she's probably not like just you just was a desk you know uh a desk jockey or whatever well um, well while speak- she was part of shield speaking of steve rogers though let's talk about i mean the source behind her bitterness is that and the reason why Sam's able to get her on her side is he he says like oh I wasn't given a pardon unlike you guys right like I was not forgiven mm-hmm. Steve Rogers what's going on man you know I don't know if she got blipped or anything but you'd figure he could put in a good word for his former lover slash niece because that's still weird to be like hey yeah, pardon her for what weird. she did forgive them for yeah. what they do I I. I- <laughs> I I mean like it's 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 the it's the choice that that like is being made because it's I don't even know because it's not a retcon we don't know what happened because whether for for time constraints whether for um you know like scheduling for 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 whatever reason too many characters already in existence Sharon Carter was not showing up in Infinity War and in Endgame right. and once that happens if you're if you're not there whatever happens to your characters whatever the next writer feels like doing so they have decided that that's the route to take no matter how out of character it seems for that to be the case with Steve or she's lying and she's undercover and she's working with Nick Fury's secret underground. Um, mm. a, uh, what, what could did she call? Could she be a scroll? She's probably a scroll. Oh, maybe, maybe that's Roland Carter. Scrolling. And Squirrelin Carter? Is that what you said? Squirrelin? Squirrelin Carter. Squirrelin Carter. You know, that classic old name, that old chestnut. Yep. Uh, she's probably also Mephisto, so like, yes. you know, that's something that we definitely the have power to... power broker's Mephisto! Come on, get on this train. Like, it's just, it's gonna happen. I really, really do hope, though, Mike, that you don't have to drink that snake juice or whatever it is. Oh, he has well, to eat a snake. No, I'll listen. He doesn't oh, say drink uh, snake juice. I'll, He's I'll, eating I'll a snake. The, I'll listen. Go back to Parks and Rec. I will gladly drink the snake <laughs> juice because it seemed like they had a fun time. So I will, they had I will, a great like, night. Top three episode for me. From yeah, Parks and I, Rec I, I will episode. drink the snake juice. Tie me to the top of, of Donna's Mercedes Benz, and I'm <laughs> I'm willing to go. But, I mean, from that point, per, point though, do you think we're going to see Sharon in the rest of the series? Or do we think, like, she's going to stay in Madripoor? And this is our our brief glance of her over the next three episodes. I I think mm-hmm. she'll come back, but like we were like, oh, Sarah's gonna come back, and she came back in a phone call. Which like Samuel, Samuel, what are you doing? Yeah, what she, are you doing? Leaving your phone on the aforementioned Josh Wigler had only one comment to say. Love Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode three. Love this show. Nagging takeaway from the episode though, in all caps. Sam Wilson, you got to turn off your cell phone during clandestine spy missions. What are you doing? No punctuation. Yeah. Agreed. Like, yeah. come on, Sam. 
you don't need punctuation when you've got that much truth. Well, I think, though, you know what it is, though? I think Sam is really committed to the part. Sam Wilson is a good boy, turns his phone off even at the movies. Smiling Tiger keeps that sucker on all ah, day. you're right. Because he's like, It was Sam Wilson's acting choice for <laughs> Smiling Tiger. Smiling Tiger. Gone full method. <laughs> and, I, and I love that moment as well, too. Like, I, this was actually a very funny episode for Anthony Mackie. And I loved the moment of him really trying to play Smiling Tiger, of, like, trying to do the like almost an improv game right of like oh sarah's gonna have these lines about the bank foreclosure and i'm gonna be like yeah all that money we laundered i can't wait to kill that banker and then it's just cheerios and invoking the name sam that completely unravels the whole thing yeah i would like to believe my sister was would be quicker on the uptake and if i said that she would immediately play along but i don't know for sure yeah you want to believe you know <laughs> maybe maybe i'll call her right now or the next next time we're on here we'll call and see if you my definitely have goes to i don't know i feel like if you don't have a plan in place for like with your uh siblings to know when you're in danger mm. or when you're in a you know a situation that you know you need help or whatever you've got to think that people already have these plans in place i've definitely told my sister if i say the following then you know the shit's gone down the, the cover phrase. I, t- yeah. I, to- I told you about Fluffy. Like- yeah, exactly. Or like, <laughs> should you just pull like a Zemo and be like, red. Yes. <laughs> Slide. <laughs> Dump truck. Homecoming. <laughs> Dump truck. <laughs> exactly. Let's let's get into some of your feedback here from the great listeners of Post Show Recaps. Uh, so Felipe brought up something. Madripoor, again, obviously a big deal being brought in. Felipe said that uh, apparently there's a rumor that Disney didn't have the rights to actually using Madripoor until the Fox acquisition, that these locations were sort of like in the contracts that were tied into the characters. I'm not sure if any of us have the legality perspective to speak about this. Do we do we think this holds water at all, that they weren't able to use locations like Genosha or, or Madripoor due to X-Men? It, yeah, I mean, where, yeah. where it first appeared, right? Like, that's that's the rules usually, right? Again, we don't have the legalese, but Madripoor appeared in either an X-Men comic or a Wolverine comic for the first time, I think. And so, like, if that's where it originated from, they're going to have trouble where to use it. Um, the same thing where it's like uh, Namor was uh, basically off the table because mm-hmm. Namor was essentially tied to the Fantastic Four, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So, like, could not show up. Technically, is also a mutant. So like like you could they they couldn't use Namor um even though uh Fox was not using him so and totally believable that things like Genosha Madripoor key locations like the X Mansion not yeah. going to be mentioned like I think yeah. locations that are tied to uh, characters to a certain extent and degree and where they first appeared that totally to me can hold water in terms of like would Fox argue that hard enough yes they argued Quicksilver hard enough so here we are but yeah. All right, let's talk a bit about the Flag Smashers again, because Ethan brings up a really interesting point. He said, I would say I really enjoyed this episode, but feel arguably more so meh now that the Flag Smasher stuff is all over the place. I feel like two weeks in, I was fine with it being vague, but now that we are halfway through, I wish we maybe saw more about their intentions. Also, the tuberculosis storyline didn't really do it for me, maybe because mostly I don't really understand how the government tracked their location to a random spot in Munich, but then was oblivious to what seemed to be a longer stay in an area with someone they cared about. Isn't visiting the people you know slash care about like the number one way to get caught? typically so yeah, even outside of like the uh deepening the carly character by having her get in contact <laughs> with momadonia yeah you would think that like if they know carly they have corley Morgenthau's number you think they'd be like let's station people outside the places with the people that she is most closely connected to and then we'll capture yeah. them when she inevitably the whole kate austin method if you will uh the kate austin method 
yes, uh, what Felipe is saying makes a ton of sense. Uh, I'm just going to like defer to what uh, Kevin said with regards to the uh, rights to characters, because yeah, that was all over the place when there are still issues with, um, with Fox, but yeah, that's literally what the police do is uh, or investigators do is they like, you know, tap your phone. They tap the phones of the people that you're closest to because they find that out based on essentially how many times you've called a person. Mm-hmm. Um, they also station, um, it could be plain clothes, uh, like people likely undercover um, at your home, at the home of your, you know, significant other, the home of your, your parents, um, your siblings, etc. Um, because yes, you are going to, unless they had that sick woman on the move, um, you know, they're going to know exactly where to look. So yeah, there are some, some things that definitely don't hold water uh, when, when you get to um, how exactly it was that they were located in the first place, unless there's a mole mm. or, you know, or someone, you know, who's working for the U S government or, you know, who isn't fully committed to the cause. We don't really know, but you know, they have a hard enough time trying to uh, get the, the nice German guy who like he and his wife offered up their home or shop um you know, to the flag smashers to say anything. So it would probably Mm. be a lot more difficult, you know, for the people actually within the flag smashers, they probably wouldn't want to, you know, um, betray the people that they're closest to. So actually on the note, randomly at the flag smashers, I don't know if either one of you read this, but, uh, the actor who plays Dovik, who I believe is sort of uh, Carly's number one, right? The guy with the longer hair and the similar British accent. I believe that's his name is Desmond Kiem, I believe is, is his last name. He actually wrote a really sweet, really just like very well done Twitter thread yesterday about how much pleasure he took in working on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, talking about how much Captain America inspired him, how how great he felt filming that uh, last year and, you know, how much he geeked out about getting to hold Cap Shield for a second, how he said working, looking at Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan interact was a masterclass. So I really encourage people to look it up because it's it's always just really fun when people who work on these shows geek out about this stuff as much as we do. You really mm. feel seen in that moment. So I, I very much recommend that. Uh, so yeah, well, I, actually, and speaking on the tuberculosis stuff as well, I don't know. I, I find that interesting that we got to see the the refugee camps as well because they said yeah. that you know it seemed like this Mamadonia died because of tuberculosis specifically from the camps. So mm-hmm. it really does seem like, and we see that like pretty uh, dreary image of like a whole room full of people on hospital beds. So. I think we're really going to, especially as we explore the Flag Smashers more, continue to dive into just, like, despite the fact that the GRC feels like they want to include everyone to the Flag Smashers points, the people that they left behind and the supplies they will sit on for half a year just to not cut through red tape at the expense of others. Yeah. All right, uh, let's get into uh, a question about the villains here, or at least a statement from Ryan, just to echo what was said before. But I think Ryan does a really nice job of laying things out. Ryan says, okay, I'm liking this more every episode, but still confused who the villains are. Zemo equals likable. Walker equals understandable. Carly equals sympathetic. But a lot of that sympathy did disappear with the explosion. My prediction for now is that the Flag Smashers will be mostly dealt with by episode five, and Walker has a turn and becomes the main villain. And at some point, Zemo escapes and does his own thing. 
Uh, so, Kevin, what what do you think about the the timeline that Ryan has laid out here? Are the Flag Smashers endgame material, or do you think that they're going to sort of be tied up before the end of the series? Um, I mean, it depends on how they're pacing and how the episode lengths are going to go. I could very well see that the direction it heads is both uh, Walker and um, Battlestar are essentially doing their own investigation into everything, trying to follow traces for um, Bucky and Sam. And using that, they end up aligning with Bucky and Sam at the same time that, that Bucky and Sam are able to encounter the Flag Smashers. And with the leftover um, serum, uh, unable to actually stand against a multitude of the... Um, uh, Flag Smashers, uh, he's going to take the serum and then he will become able to like fight alongside. They beat the Flag Smashers and then, of course, now the the, the, the battle becomes him versus Sam and Bucky, um, you know, at the end now that he's juiced up, essentially. So I can see that going that way. Do I want it to necessarily go that way? No, but I could totally see it going that way. Um, or even like the, you know, he takes the soldier serum and there are leftovers and he's just like, this is the property of the U.S. government now. And now mm. we're going to take it. And Sam and Bucky and Zemo being just like, no, that's not that's not something we can allow to happen. And then the fight breaks out that way. Uh, I definitely just feel like they are heading down the route of, um, you know, a final fight being between John and and especially Bucky and Sam now for the shield. Right. Because Bucky says uh, you gave up the shield. If you don't want it, I'm going to take it then. So yeah. there, there is, yeah. there is stuff there already about um, conflict that is inherent to what the end game could be for the series. Yeah. What do you, what do you think, Latanya? What? Because again, we're we're at the halfway point in the series, as you said. In your mind's eye, how do you see specifically the problem of like the multiple villains that aren't really villains? How will those get resolved, in your opinion, in the next three episodes? I agree with Kevin. I, I think that we're going to end up having uh, uh, a team up with a bunch of people that are very unlikely to team up um, against uh, John Walker. And it's even possible that Battlestar might defect um, because he, you know, has shown so far that he's willing to question what John Walker says and like how he tries to accomplish you things. You changed, man. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um so ultimately, I think they're setting up Walker to be the uh, the big bad, and we'll have uh, the likes of Sam and uh, Bucky, and maybe even Isaiah or Isaiah's grandson. Mm. Uh, yeah, teaming up with Zemo and what's left of the Flag Smashers, um, who you know just need to go to a youth home, like a juvenile. <laughs> Like <laughs> detention center because they're children. Yeah. Well, uh, here's my here's my Super Bowl prediction that is not going to come true. <laughs> the Flag Smashers get defeated, and because they're all British, Carly Morgenthau gets recruited by the government and becomes Captain Britain or Union Jack, and that's how because <laughs> they're super soldiers, right? So it's like might yeah. as well utilize them for something. I oh my god! If they, I mean. We're going to get Captain Britain in What If, right? That's the whole Peggy Carter uh, What If episode. Correct. Oh, if right. we do MI-13, I'd be, I'd be really interested in that. But specifically, I think Paul Cornell's MI-13 from yeah, the well, but I also, 2000s I mean, not to get into future films, but I do believe Shang-Chi is going to feature some MI-13 characters. So it'd be an interesting tie-in. Oh, did not know that. That's all. Oh, uh, well, yeah. And actually, the Black Knight is supposed to be an Eternal. So MI-13 might not be far yeah, so if we had to end with someone being like your Captain Britain now, congratulations, Carly Morgan. <laughs> the, yeah, good for good for her. Uh, moving on up, really. 
Um, the other thing, you know, is like, how does, how does, um, IO feature into the uh, figure into this? Like mm-hmm. what, what's Wakanda going to do? Like, how are, are they going to get some semblance of justice by being able to, you know, capture Zemo themselves? Will Zemo end up just going back to the prison that he was in? Or will he just be like, will he just be dust and like out in the, not literal dust. We can't we've, do we've that in there. this franchise. <laughs> <laughs> will he just, you know, have gone away and like figured out a way to, to escape. But like, what, what exactly is IO doing there? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it could just be a matter of now Wakanda, I think, is maybe like puts pressing down the screws a bit on someone like Bucky, right? Of like, hand him over to us. Maybe this will also be a bit of Bucky conflict in the next few episodes. It's like, which way do I lean here in terms of fulfilling the, mer- the mission versus yeah. getting revenge? I mean, Wakanda's left in, a, in an odd situation as it is. Obviously, Malcolm Spellman has said that he has used the opportunity during the pandemic to do reshoots to look at new things from mm. a different light. Looking at a Wakanda without a king is a very interesting perspective that they wouldn't have had before the shutdown of production. So I wonder if that's something that sort of got rewritten after the I, pandemic and the passing of Chadwick Boseman, because that would it, also leave a lot, yeah. you know, a, a big hole there that needs to be filled. It occurred to me, like, as we're talking about it, that, like, I was like, oh, man, and it got really, I got really sad and depressed about this fact that, like, was the original intent to have Chadwick show up and not Aya, right? Like, imagine, like, watching this and, and Black Panther shows up and he has a deep connection to Bucky now, right? Like, it, yeah. it would have totally made sense. And obviously, the plans like that would have had to have changed. And that's, it, it's very, like, I'm just thinking about it, I'm getting very sad. So I'm just going to move on from, from from thinking about that possibility. I mean, the good news, no matter what, is that Wakanda's on Falcon and the Winter Soldier, no matter what portion of time it may be. And that's freaking exciting. That's that's a lot of fun. Yeah. I know that I know that we had our misgivings with this episode in particular, but I'm still very excited by the series because I do think the DNA within it, you know, this again, the Sam Bucky rapport really is like worth the price of admission. They're they're yeah, they're sure. rat a tat tat. I love the callback to the do you want to move your seat up? No. Oh, line. right. Like, these yeah. these these two are really great together. And while there might be some odd stuff with a lot of plot threads right now moving forward i do feel like the some of the grounded aspects of those two characters in particular if that stays through i will be overall happy with the series and that's that's what i'm you know i'm 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 cautiously optimistic about things going into the second half i know things were a little shaky here in episode three compared to the first two but if we can get back on the path that the first two episodes were on i'm gonna be a very happy boy come these next three episodes yeah, I mean, middle slumps exist in, in fiction, right? That, mm-hmm. that happens a lot. So, second acts are hard. It's where it's where all the stuff needs to happen. People usually can get their beginning. They usually can get the ending because it's the climax and the and you know the the after. And then the middle is usually just where a lot of the nonsense has to happen from to get from point A to point B. Um, and so uh, it happens. It happens. And if this is the lowest point, that's fine. I'm totally ready and excited to to get into the stride as we keep moving forward. Tanya, any final thoughts about uh, the final part of Act One, I suppose, uh, before we take an intermission and immediately come back a week later about Falcon and the Winter Soldier? (laughs) Uh, Just that I am very much looking forward to seeing how this show is going to to finish up. Um, I know that there's like a lot of pressure specifically, like Anthony Mackie spoke about a phone call that he had with Kevin Feige just being like, please don't let like the, the like first show that's kind of like 
uh, got like, you know, black show writer, uh, show runners and uh, a head black character fail. <laughs> like, mm. please don't let this be the first thing in the MCU that fails horribly. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. So I am looking forward to seeing exactly what it is. They're like where it is. They're trying to get us and them revealing, you know, who ultimately the big bad is and having way more, um, you know, of that witty repartee between Sam and Bucky, um, maybe even another therapy session or something. I know that uh, it, it seems that Bucky's going to have the chance to meet Sam's family because when we do see Sam in the, in the uh, promos, um, you know, like throwing the shield around and like uh, practicing, mm-hmm. it seems to be in Louisiana. Like the trees are uh, very Louisiana. Amazing. Yeah, so that I, I'm looking forward to more Sarah and mm. and her boys, and it would be fantastic to see a la the um, the scene uh, where they go to Hawkeye's farm and meet his family. It'd be great to see how uh, Bucky like interacts with the with Sam. Yeah, I wonder if Bucky's gonna be splitting apart logs with his bare hands like Steve did. <laughs> Steve's legacy. You um, can only there. dream. Bucky's gonna chop him. He's just gonna use his metal arm. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, he's, no, he's just gonna stare at them, and they're gonna fall apart. <laughs> the, what, what they call him, like the bionic staring machine, is I think what Sam called him this episode. So again, there's there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about uh, with this episode, and thank you all for joining us as well. We're gonna we're gonna be calling in next week, a la Sarah, to continue our coverage with episode four. Until then, if you all have any thoughts or want to submit your feedback feedback for episode recordings here on everything is super you can of course email us super at postshowrecaps.com you can always tweet us at kev mahadeo at lk starks at a mike bloom type and of course at postshow recaps but a lot of our feedback is gotten from our patrons of postshow recaps on the patron discord specifically at the ten dollar level we are in the first week of a month and that's when we always really try to make the push for people to become patrons because you really get your money's worth uh since renewals of memberships happen at the beginning of every month this is really making the most of it you get access to so much patron content including kevin's fantastic coverage of the mighty ducks game changers which recently aired episode two as well as a bunch of other stuff like for example uh two patron exclusive podcasts are coming together much like zemo and bucky and sam this week in myself Josh Wiggler, Antonio Mazzaro, and uh, Rich Filberto are coming together to do a combination Wiggle Bloom slash Dungeons, Dragons, and Discord, where wow. we're playing we're playing Dungeons and Dragons with a character that has been made for me, but I have no idea who they are at the time they're recording this. That makes me incredibly excited. I like flying blind. Uh, you know, I'm I'm letting someone else give me the wing pack at this point, and I am ready to soar. So be sure to check that out, and you get access to our Postal Recaps Discord, where especially Friday mornings when these episodes come out, it (laughs) is absolutely like on fire with chat about this episode. And we are eternally grateful to our our patrons, not only for supporting us, but for helping contribute to a lot of really fantastic conversation and and discussions of these episodes, characters, etc. It's really fun to talk about these with the two of you and very fun as well to get the listeners' opinions too. So if you have the means to do don't be shy. PostureRecaps.com slash patron if you want to become a patron and, and join us talking about shows even when we are not on mic. But that's going to do it this week for Everything is Super. Next week, we're coming back to talk about episode four as we get into the back half of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I'm sure surprises will be abound. Thank you so much for listening. Latanya, Kevin, thank you so much again. We'll talk to you all next week. 
dismissed. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.